Hello, it's Robert Bathurst here. I was one of the first guests on My Time Capsule, and Mike has asked me to tell you that you can now listen to the podcast ad-free by subscribing to Acast Plus. Details of how to join are in the description of each episode. Mike says it's very reasonably priced. In fact, Mike says it's a bargain. And who am I to disagree? Locked here in his cellar. Anyway, for a small subscription, Acast Plus, My Time Capsule, ad-free. Free. Unlike me. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello, and welcome to My Time Capsule. My name's Mike Fenton-Stevens, and in this podcast, I talk to various people about the five things from their life that they would like to put in a time capsule. Four things that they cherish and would like to preserve, and one that they would like to bury and never have to think about again. My guest this week is Stephen Fry. We recorded this episode remotely, for obvious reasons. I mean, have you seen the price of train fares these days? No, obviously it was because of the need to self-isolate. Something that has brought us all together, ironically. Stephen was in his house in Norfolk and I was at my home in Tunbridge Wells. So I'd like to thank Zoom and everyone who's keeping the internet going. I started by asking Stephen what his first item to go into the time capsule was. And this is our conversation. I hope you enjoyed. We'll start with a very simple and obvious thing, I suppose, because it opens up into a whole world. And that was, it's my grandfather's wind-up um, gramophone record, uh, <laughs> record player, gramophone, I mean. Um, it, I, I discovered it in, in the attic um, and worked out how to use it with my brother. And there was a huge collection of these 78 records, these hard 78s. And um, for, the, for your listeners who are pretty uh, young, probably might not have ever used a wind-up gramophone, but it's very simple. It's, um, it's not even electric. It, you, you, crank, you hand crank it and you put on the record and the needle is, it's like a, I mean, it's a thick sort of needle that you can hold and you shove it into this arm that has a membrane or it connects all the way up to the famous you know big horn that comes out mm. and 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 it it makes a sound and it's music and the reason it was so wonderful is the collection of records was full of things i didn't know it was a great mixture there was classical music things very obvious things like the blue danube 
And there was um, sort of jazz and swing. There was Frank, early Frank Sinatra singing Old Man River. And do you know there's a line of Robert Browning's, I, I can't remember what poem, I think it's in Pippa Passes, which is, uh, can we ever hope to recapture that first fine, careless rapture? <laughs> and you never can. You never can. No. And the fact is, I then, at the age of 11, listening to the Blue Danube or the... Um, Overture to the Barber of Seville by Rossini, or whatever it might have been, or, or the Ride of the Valkyries, lying on my back, wriggling with an absolute transcendent joy at the music that was coming out with a hiss and a crackle and a jump um, in, in a quality that we would now just regard as simply unacceptable. And you could pay hundreds of thousands for a system with giant speakers and the most amazing amplifiers and technology behind it. And I would never have that feeling that the music gives you. It's, the, it's like first love. So it's that, it's that knowledge that is a sad knowledge that you can never go back and, and experience quite that intensity of joy that you have as a young adolescent. Um, but you have to recognize that that is part of growing up, is that mm. you know, you'll always enjoy the music, and I'll still get great, great joy from all kinds of music, but that absolute feeling of, it's hard to explain. Well, I, I don't need to explain because I think it's common to all of us, and I'm sure yes. everybody can understand what I'm saying. Did the player have a horn, or, or was it one of those box ones? It, it was a box one. It was a sort of portable one. It was um, uh, it was yay big, yay being um, uh, I should think about eighteen inches by eighteen, and it looked like mm. a little small valise, a small little suitcase, and you opened yes. it up, and, and the arm came up. It was all beautiful, and oh goodness! And I've since um, you know I bought one at a. Car boot sale or something, and uh, yeah. you know, and it, it is a charming thing. It's now just an object. It's a, it's. But then it was everything to me, absolutely everything. Mm. Well, I I had one for a while, which was a was a cabinet, and the great thing about it was that it was very. They're always very loud, aren't they? They play incredibly loudly but then you could open the doors of the cabinet and it had a speaker down below so it became incredibly loud and on a number of occasions i remember i had a copy of uh, judy garland singing the trolley song oh how glorious yeah that's it it is glorious that's so good and uh, and it, it would bring me to tears because it was so the, the sound was so of the time yeah yeah it's oh goodness me i mean it's uh, music is, I mean, you know, the, anything you say about it has been said before and is, of course, true, but it's, um, I, I, I find music uh, a profound part of my life. And mm. uh, I, 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 I sometimes think it is more important to me than almost anything else there is. And yet I have almost zero talent at it. Can't sing. Can't. <laughs> I fiddle on the piano so badly. I mean, compared to friends. I mean, my friend Hugh Laurie. We all know people who are very musical, and it's like when I was ten years old and I couldn't swim. I was a very late swimmer, and I remember mm. at school uh, you you had to wear red swimming trunks if you were a non-swimmer, uh. and all the swimmers wore blue swimming trunks. And I felt so. And I would watch people swimming, the other boys swimming, and it was like watching a birds flying. I just thought, if I could do that, I would be the happiest person in the world. It would be like flying. And I always feel like that when I see people performing music. I think, how come I just 
can't do that. It's mm. so frustrating. And yet the pleasure of listening to it and um, floating inside it and is something, um, something I'll never, never tire of. No. Chris Addison said to me that he spoke to a, a what are they called, a repetiteur. 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 They're the people that That's play right. the piano for ballet dancers and operas. Exactly. And yeah. he, he watched this man work and he said to him, oh, God, I'd give anything to be able to play like you. And the man said to him, would you give six hours a day? <laughs> it's a brilliant and uh, you say ah right yes no i see of course and that's just a true. lot of hard work yeah that's true if you're if you're a repetiteur a pianist is true if you're ronnie o'sullivan it's you know if you're a you know yes. anything you admire I, I think it was lee trevino the golfer wasn't it who when he was he drove off the tee and someone said to him god you're lucky to have a swing like that and he said yeah it's crazy the more i practice the luckier i get yeah, <laughs> and no one wants to hear it. We all know that that, that there is a secret to to success. Mm. Uh, all these books that uh, promise you uh, how to be a success, and uh, and and they all absolute bullshit, of course, because <laughs> the secret is you have to work incredibly hard at it. Yes, no, be really dedicated to it, it. Um, and everyone wants to believe there's a shortcut, or that at least. A shortcut even to learning how to work hard, because I think that's the, the weird thing. Some people can focus and concentrate and lose themselves in effort. Uh, mm. And it almost seems easy, even though what we're talking about is effort. It's a peculiar paradox, isn't it? But, yeah, uh, do you think that's one of the, um, one of the great benefits of a public school system, <laughs> if there are any? Do you think that, um, that actually that thing of being made to sit down and do prep every day in theory I, it ought to be but it wasn't for me i was a disaster at, at public school and indeed was expelled regularly um from different, <laughs> different establishments and i never worked when i was at school i i i mean i i was gifted and i suppose i still am with with a, a very facile and um, adept memory and ability to uh, to reproduce things that i hear without any effort and and a pastiching ability as well so that i could always write essays without having to think very hard mm. but i never did at school particularly at all i was i mean my reports were awful and i never worked <laughs> it was only after i was expelled and then after i went to prison and <laughs> all the, yes. that, that that i finally decided that that i wanted to work mm. Uh, and that was the difference, wanting to do it. Yes. And I don't yeah. know why, something just clicked in my head. And I remember, for example, thinking, well, I have to go to university. And I was, I'd set my heart on Cambridge. And, um, and I, I'd been expelled from so many schools. And I was such a complete screw-up that there was no chance of me getting into, into any other new school. But I did actually apply to a city college who amazingly took me. But they didn't do Cambridge entrance, which you had to do in those days. So I, I studied on my own for that. And I remember reading through all the works of Shakespeare all the plays and all the sonnets and, and the extended poems and writing notes on them, which I still have, incredibly deep, complex notes. I, I read very slowly and very particularly all the way through every play until I knew them virtually backwards in terms of plot and character and everything about them, um, notes on the sources. And, 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 uh, and then I started to do this with other poems and uh, other writers and, and with novels and things. It was mostly with literature because that's what I wanted to do at university. Mm. Um, 
But it was extraordinary. I would, I would get up at six in the morning and just sit and do that for hours and hours after. I mean, it was incredible. And my younger self, because I would say 18 when I was doing, or 19 when I was doing that, and four years earlier, I would have been incapable of doing it. So I had to go yes. to prison in order to learn how to work. <laughs> it seems. It's yeah. not a recommended route. No, no. Only no. when when lying prostrate, sobbing on the flags of the of the jailhouse with the with the shadows athwart my back and and, and <laughs> rats coming out of the straw and nibbling at my toes. Only then. <laughs> <laughs> there are still people who say that it is the route. That actually, <laughs> all young people should have a, a spell inside or something to, to <laughs> snap them into. To action instead <laughs> of national service yes that's a, that's the idea isn't it oh god did so uh, were you very close to your grandfather did you did you I, I was he died when i was young he died when i was 10 so uh he was a remarkable man he was jewish hungarian jewish uh emigre from uh and he came in the 1930s to to britain uh, which mm. is why i'm still alive because all his family unfortunately perished well that there, there mm. were others who who managed to get away to new york or israel uh, but the vast majority uh, perished in the holocaust and but he was a, he was a fabulous fabulous figure he spoke six languages and uh, was just everything was really fantastic you know he had this <laughs> relish he cooked and he, he everything had to be the best you know so he had the most wonderful i mean he was a preposterous figure in some ways he, he did well for himself and he used to go shooting with uh, with uh, with you know the landed gentry in East Anglia, and uh, he had brand new tweeds and brand new leather, and you know, and he, he didn't quite get that aristocrats uh, don't do that; no. they they have everything no. falling to pieces, and you know. So <laughs> I think he was rather a comic spectacle, but uh, uh, he didn't mind at all, and uh, he was greatly loved. And just yes. one of those. My wife's family came over in the thirties. Did her, her, her father's father came over in the thirties yeah. from White Russia, as it was called. Yes, uh, and the same thing. So all their family, everybody, everybody who stayed or went to other parts of Europe, uh, were were killed, it's murdered. I did that program. Who do you think you are? And of course, mm. you know, it's, if you are, if you have Jewish blood in you, then all roads will lead to Auschwitz. Yes, that's what happened. Yes, but it, it, it is extraordinary, and it, it mustn't be forgotten. One of the most extraordinary people I saw. Funnily enough, this wasn't doing. Who do you think you are? It was doing. Um, I did a program on Richard Wagner, the composer uh, the, whose music I first heard on my grandfather's wind up, um, <laughs> and Jewish people tend to uh, deprecate Wagner. They don't like, you know, my mother would hear me playing his music as I got to mm. know it as a, 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 in my later teens and say, must you play that awful man? And of course he, you know, he was an anti-Semite. He was an appalling, monstrous man. Uh, mm. Hitler loved his music, which is also another way of tarnishing. Mind you, Hitler loved <laughs> Johann Strauss and uh, Beethoven too, and it doesn't stop us loving Beethoven. But, um, and of course, Wagner was... 50 years dead when Hitler came to power. But yes. nonetheless, uh, you know, there's a problem with listening to Wagner. And I made a documentary about that very problem. And I went to see this remarkable woman called Anita Lasker-Walfisch, who was a 15-year-old girl who had been at uh, Auschwitz. Um, and she was in the the capella, as they call it, the, 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 the sort of orchestra, the little orchestra in the, in the, with the women's orchestra with Rosa Mahler as the uh, conducting. And uh, wow. it was this these Jewish girls and she was a brilliant cellist and that's what saved her life and 
And she did at least tell me that I said, you know, did you associate Wagner with the camps? She said, no, they, they never played Wagner. They played um, marches, you know, and mm-hmm. Strauss and things like that. And, and we didn't play uh, Wagner. We didn't have the resources. We were just a small little band, a cappella, you know. Um, but uh, she told me a story that I will never forget. That uh, one day she was sitting on her bunk, as it were, you know, Delousing a friend, and a friend was picking lice from her scalp, and and the camp doctor came in and beckoned to her, curled a finger towards her, and she said, "You may have heard his name. It was uh, Josef Mengele." Oh my word! And uh, and so my bowels turned to water, and I didn't know what to think, and um, I followed him. He pointed to my instrument, my cello, and I followed him with my cello into his office, and he pointed into the corner. And so I understood that I was to play. So I, I played. I said, do, do, do you remember what you played? She said, yeah, I played, uh, I played Träumerei by, by Schumann. I said, well, that's so beautiful. She said, yes, yes. And I played. And, and what did he do? He was working. And I played more pieces, some Bach and other things. And then he dismissed me. And I said, did, did, did he thank you? <laughs> <laughs> he said, you poor child. He said, you, don't, you still don't understand. Do you thank your telephone when you've used it? Do you thank your washing uh, machine? Do you thank your computer mm. printer? We were not human beings. That's how they could do what they did. Yeah. We were not human beings. God. And you think a 15-year-old girl is playing sublime music on a cello, mm. and you're an educated man, uh, a doctor, but you can still regard that human being as just a subhuman and, and be quite happy about the fact that they're going to burn. It's Extraordinary. Incredible. It, it's still Isn't a it just? mystery, an imponderable mystery. Yes. And a terrible it always is. That sort of ignorance is, uh, yeah. is, is always a mystery. There's a man in, in Tunbridge Wells. When you come here next, you must go to Moss Bros and buy a suit from a man called Ralph Williams. Uh, he's called Ralph Williams because when he joined the paratroopers in uh, in 1942, having come over as, as a 14-year-old on the uh, kinder transport, wow. they said, Do you should, uh, they told me, I don't think that uh, Finkelstein is a very good name to have in the paratroopers. <laughs> so I changed it to Ralph Williams. And then I said to them, they'll never get some German now. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's delicious. Amazing. Yeah, my grandfather was Neumann, and uh, he changed it to Newman. He said, oh, I took the final N, because, of course, Neumann has two Ns at the end. It's N-E-U-M-A-N-N. He said, I took the final N and turned it upside down and put it next to the U, so it became Newman. <laughs> All his friends who, who came, who, you know, who were emigrants like him, had very English names. You know, that, that yes. was considered the... The, the way to do it in those days. Yes. Uh-huh. In fact, the Fenton in my name is the English version of the Jewish name that, that my wife's family took. So I put the Fenton. In. Oh, is that where it is? That's where you're Fenton Stevens. Oh, how And there are funny. a lot of, lot of, a lot of Fentons who, oh, who are Jews. That's wonderful. Yes. That's yes. very pleasing. There we are. Oh. Well, we shall have that music playing yeah. hauntingly, well, <laughs> loudly. Let's just play it loudly yeah, exactly. in, in the time capsule for you. Yeah. <laughs> And you can you can you can lift the lid anytime you like and hear it echoing mm. through the 
in mm. the halls of the time capsule for you. That's that's fabulous. So um, that's your first item. What's it, what's number two? Well, number two is more disgraceful, but it's a reminder of what a... I mean, it's a small and beautiful object, um, but it kind of sums up how pretentious and awful I was for so many years in my life. It's going to be a Dunhill lighter, cigarette lighter. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, they were extraordinary objects. They made a beautiful style. A beautiful thing. Yeah, a little of enamel with gold uh, uh, in, in, in the sort of piping or gold edging. Um, and I had it for years and years. And I was a smoker. I was a very keen smoker, a proud smoker, almost angrily proud about smoking and furious at anybody who thought it was a bad thing and couldn't, you know, just couldn't bear the, the uh, all these, you know, doctors and uh, anti-smokers and all these laws that started to come in. Um, you know, I grew up, uh, you could smoke in cinemas and um, theatres and tube trains and buses. And Well, you know, you're the same generation. Mm. There was, it was everywhere. And you look back now and you realise that smoking is a very small blip in, in human uh, history. It, it Cigarettes, I mean, well, even if you go back Obviously, you go back to pipes and Walter Raleigh, and there was a smoking of pipes amongst men only, and a few women, you know, the sort of Hogarth uh, uh, women in Gin Lane with the clay pipe and in Dickens and so on. And it wasn't really until the Duke of Wellington that uh, um, cigarillos uh, became fashionable because the Peninsula War and the Portuguese and Spanish had got them from the New World, this habit of uh, thin cigars, uh, cigarillos. Mm. But they still weren't cigarettes. <clears throat> it was really only the end of the 19th century. Oscar Wilde's generation had cigarettes mm. and they made a great thing of it. it, it, it uh, Wilde was... Uh, uh, it was a scandal when he he made a curtain speech after the great success of the impo- uh, of uh, Lady Windermere's fan. He, he 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 appeared on on stage when they cried for author with a cigarette in his fingers. People thought that was outrageous. <laughs> it was very and and actually this idea that uh, Victorians smoked all the time uh, is not true. Um, there's a marvelous book by uh, E. F. Benson. Um, uh, uh, about his upbringing. His father was the Archbishop of Canterbury. That's E.F. Benson who wrote um, Map and Lucia. And it was a mm. splendid figure. And he, he knew Tennyson and Gladstone and all these extraordinary high Victorians. And he said that this idea that everybody smoked is nonsense. Uh, smoke was considered disgusting but everybody did it. So they would have a room in which to do it and clothes in which to do it. And they would wear a cap so that the smell of the smoke didn't affect their hair. And that's why you had a smoking cap and a smoking jacket. Yes, and a smoking room. That's right. So, so oh. the women would depart uh, to, to, to uh, the end of dinner, and the men would go out of the dining room into the smoking room, put on the smoking jacket, smoke furiously, take it off. It was quite extraordinary reading this, and I, I loved it. It was really fascinating. Mm. And then the, that was cigars, and then the cigarette, which was a sign of decadence, appeared. Um, and it was really the First World War that changed it all. Uh, suddenly, cigarettes were cheap and available, and machines made made them and everybody smoked if you watch that uh, peter jackson uh, you know the, the wonderful restoration of all that first world war you know they shall not grow old he, he, yes extraordinary and and everybody has a cigarette in their mouth absolutely yes. everybody so really it was from about 1910 maybe right up to through the 50s 60s 70s which is only 60 or 70 years really People yes, smoke. Yes. It's about the same length of time that people use the telephone. 
Um, <laughs> you know, it's, it, uh, people still do, but young people very rarely talk to each other on the phone. It's a, it's a, it's a, you know, a legacy device. And, mm-hmm. you know, we, 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 if you grow up in the middle of it, it seems the most natural thing in the world to speak on the telephone. I, uh, uh, and, and for me, smoking. And fun enough, the two went together. <laughs> I couldn't answer the phone without immediately sparking up. It's weird. It's a, it's a trigger. <laughs> Strange kind of hardwired connection. And, um, and the other reason for the, the choosing the Dunhill lighter is it, it's so typical of me. You know, all my friends were much cooler. They all had zippos or matches, you know, but, uh, or just throw away bics. But I had to have a bloody Dunhill lighter. Who do they think I was? And, and, and really, it started when I was uh, on the run, when, when I was, you know, I'd stolen these credit cards and I was, I'd go to, Stay in grand hotels and uh, all <laughs> these ridiculous clothes and stiff collars. And in those days, there were shops where you could buy really classy cigarettes. I mean, really extraordinary cigarettes. There was a shop called Sullivan Powell's in in the, um, in the Burlington Arcade off Piccadilly, and mm. Sullivan Powell had their their own in beautiful maroon box with fabulous paper. They had their private stock was the name of their cigarette, or you could have your own made up. Uh, Morelands was another, which uh, James Bond had Morelands with two gold rings round, which were made up for him. And there was another one on the Haymarket called Freiburg and Trier, uh, who was, uh, made cigarettes. And uh, these were the really extraordinary. And there were things like Sobrani cocktail for the very purpose. Yes. Coloured. The black ones. Coloured, that's gold. right. And they were a mixture yes. of Turkish and uh, Virginian tobacco. And I would have cigarette cases as well. Um, and you'd have Turkish on the left and uh, Virginia on the right. You'd offer them people say turkey's on the left virginia on the right and they go oh he is grand isn't he and and there was t- certain types of cigarette that were oval passing clouds was it was a make of cigarette that was oval and the reason it was oval was then you could have a, the really slim cigarette case the one that was slightly curved so that it would fit yeah. into your inside pocket and it wouldn't ruin the the, 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 the cut and line of your jacket and mm. you could fit in all the cigarettes it, it, i mean so there was a huge amount of art and design went into smoking, uh, you know, both yes. in the, the Dunhill lighters and these fabulous deco lucite objects, uh, uh, cigarette cases and, you know, the beautiful boxes and so on. You know. it was, all- was your lighter, was it machine tools? Yes. It was yes. stunning. It was beautiful. Yeah, lovely. With, 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 a, with a side. Yes. Yeah, that's, that's it on the side. Yeah, beautiful. You just brush mm. it with your thumb and it would just give this lovely noise as the flint engaged. Yes. Oh, a heavenly thing. If, if only we could find another use for them. <laughs> if only. Yeah. Uh, and, and I've still got it somewhere and it would need servicing. But, of course, I gave up him when I, when, when I was 50. Uh, my 50th year coincided with the banning of smoking in public places in, in pubs and restaurants and everything. So it, it just seemed natural and it was pointless fighting it. And I do feel all the better for having given it up and I hate the smell of it and I can't believe I ever did it. And it was another me. Uh, yes. And that, that's the mystery of life, Mike, isn't it? Um, it yeah. the, the paradox of, of uh, you know, thesis is shipped, you know, you know, the... the, the uh, the Theseus, the great Greek hero. Um, I, I'm going to bow to your knowledge. No, really, he, slew the minor, he, he slew the Minotaur. This is a, a post-mythic uh, paradox, the uh, uh, Theseus ship. He slew the Minotaur, and supposedly, you know, and he became the founder king of Athens. All, all that. Anyway, the point is that it, at Piraeus, or whatever, the harbour of Athens, um, his ship was moored. 
And uh, it was a people after he died, it was people come and see it. This is Theseus' ship. And it lasted hundreds of years, thousands of years. It, it lasted into the classical period, into, into the period of Plato and Aristotle and the great philosophers and all, 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 of these, all of these figures. And yet every part of it had been replaced because this plank had got rotten and a new uh. plank got in and this bit of rigging had fallen and perished and new rigging. and So there was not one part of it that was the original ship, mm. but it was the ship. And our bodies are the same. Our yes. bodies, and therefore our minds, because our brains, every single atom of us is different mm. to the atoms of, 10, of 15 years ago. Or, you know, I can't remember the exact length of time, but, you know, it's a known truth. It's, it's to, it hardly needs to be repeated. We're aware of it. We know it. We, we slough every part of us in the way that a snake sloughs its skin. And, and yeah. so how can we say, are we, like Theseus who ship, the same person, that person who smoked and that, that person who wriggled around with joy listening to that music, he's, he's long dead. Every part of him, every single cell has been replaced. And yet, extraordinary. How do you how do you remember him? It's and that, yet, the memory has stayed. We... That's right. The memories and the yes. experiences have passed through into the new, the new cells and neurons that have, uh, and and that's a a great mystery and and a rather wonderful one. Um, mm. Yeah. So so I, I will look uh, fondly uh, in my in my Fenton Stevens pouch of four lovely objects. I'll look fondly at the lighter because it will remind me of a dead me and yes. a me that would have died even earlier if I'd carried on smoking, <laughs> probably. very true. <laughs> so, it's still a beautiful object in itself, yeah, I think. that's right. Yes. Don't they now refer to uh, his ship as um, Trigger's Broom, <laughs> I think they say. Oh, have yes. You, have you heard that? Same thing. Yes, that's right. Or of, the philosopher's axe. And actually, P.G. Woodhouse's yes. typewriter. Oh, P.G. Really? Woodhouse bought a royal typewriter in his uh, very, you know, in the early part of the 20th century. And he wrote on it right until uh, his death in the 70s. Um, uh, but every part of it, the platen and the roller and the keys and the chassis were all replaced over the years. But, so it was a similar, a similar thing. And yes. that brings me on yes, to no, my next project, on. funnily enough. Okay, we're going to take a short commercial break. We'll be back with Stephen Fry very soon. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm, Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Thanks for waiting. 
Okay, right. Let's find out what Stephen is going to put into the time capsule as his third item. It's a mint green, uh, so beautiful, mint green Hermes Ambassador typewriter, uh, a manual typewriter. Uh, they're beautiful objects. And I loved typing. I taught myself to type when I was in my teens again. And um, I used to amaze people with the speed with which I could type. Now, of course, no one being the least bit impressed because uh, I had no idea it would become this, uh, uh, this you know, common skill that everybody has. Um, mm. And I was always like, like that because I just loved it. I, I, there was something about seeing the words appear on the paper with the bang, bang, bang of the of the typewriter mm. that gave me enormous pleasure. So when I got to university, I had it uh, with me and, and I would type up my essays, which, um, again, people listening, students listening, would go, you, what? Oh, you just email them. What are you talking about? You email them to your <laughs> tutor. What do you... Huh? And, uh, well, no, originally what you'd do, as most people would do, would be they'd write an essay with, with a pen or a biro yes. on paper. On it, on, and, and they would leave it at their tutor's or their you know, lecturers or you know, whatever they were called, you know, the person they were writing the essay for, they would leave them in their pigeonhole because that's, things were, that's how communication was done, things called pigeonholes. And you typed them all I would, them, I would so write you... them in longhand and then type them up. And, and I just enjoyed it. I, I enjoyed the change from handwriting to, 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 the, to the sort of somehow official-looking uh, uh, typescript that just made me feel that this was somehow meant to be and occasionally I'd oh, I'd get so annoyed because I'd have to correct something when I read it through again. Mm. And I would do it with a pen or I think, well, should I retype that whole page? No, that's just too <laughs> too too anal. <laughs> but um and I then in my uh last year at university, uh I started collaborating with Hugh Laurie on writing comedy. Um Emma Thompson with whom I done plays and things had sort of he'd said he wanted to meet me he had met me briefly at uh, Edinburgh the, the the year before when I'd written a play and um but uh, he had inherited this club called the Footlights Club which is a comedy club at uh, Cambridge and and uh, he was the president of it and uh, he wanted people to to write sketches comedy with and that's you know, what was what it was a review thing review r-e-v-u-e uh, mm. sort of cabaret style comedy and so emma took me around to his rooms and we started writing together and then i began to collate different sketches for reviews and things and i would always type them up and i've still got some that I, i've got one frame that i wrote with uh, uh, emma in mind that emma and i did and uh, then did on television and and uh, which I, I never would have guessed when i was writing it but that typewriter saw me from my lowest ebb of starting to get to myself together, as I spoke about, you know, when I had left prison and decided that I wanted to, to work. Mm -hmm. And uh, all the way through university, right up until the early 80s. Strangely, I think I also have a file somewhere of, uh, of Footlights sketches typed up, but sadly not yours. Oh! <laughs> I think it may... My, my file was Martin Bergman. Oh yes, he was just before me. Yes, yes. yes. Yeah. And he he left it in he left it in the dressing room at the end of Edinburgh. And I thought, no, that's <laughs> well, there was, there was useful. A, uh, there's a club room. Uh, there was a Footlights club room that we used to practice in, and on the walls were all the photographs of previous Footlighters: John Cleese and Peter Cook and Jonathan Miller and all these Clive James and Douglas Adams and all these extraordinary heroic figures. And I was just couldn't believe, uh, you know, that we would ever be worthy of. Uh, 
of, of touching the hem of their garments, as it were. Um, mm. but, and I, I discovered a, <laughs> a little book that was the Footlights um, May Week Review Title Suggestion Book, because you're always trying to think of a title. And uh, <laughs> and I saw one, uh, and I since checked with Eric Idle, and it was it was he who had done it when he was in undergraduate. Uh, uh, it was the best title for a show. Of course, they didn't do it. It was Captain Fellatio Hornblower. <laughs> that, <laughs> that should have been the title. Of the show. Uh, <laughs> that would have that would have dragged him in on tour, wouldn't it? It certainly would. It certainly would. <laughs> Well, we, we can't put um, Captain Fellatio in, unfortunately, <laughs> but uh, we will put your Hermes Ambassador typewriter in soon. So uh, so what's next? It's clever of me, not clever, but uh, fortuitous of me to have mentioned Douglas Adams, actually, because he did become mm. a friend. And uh, um, he and I both, on the same day, bought uh, in January 1984, uh, January the 25th, 1984, the first ever in Europe, Apple Macintosh computers, they arrived. Wow. Uh, and to most people, there was a kind of, yeah, so what? That's not really a computer, it's a toy. It's got uh, a graphic user interface. Within, it, it, it was advertised with hello written on the screen in handwriting. Yes. Now, all computers up until then, without an exception, that is sort of proves the rule because it was an Apple computer called the Lisa. But all computers uh, until then were were black screens with uh, a kind of glowing neon writing. And mm. there was no mouse, uh, there were no menus, you just typed commands and you've got lists back of what was on your files and directories and so on. And here was this whole new way of doing it using a, an image or using an analog of, of, of a desktop with a, with a little waste paper bin and folders like folders you would have in an office and you could pull and push piece documents around and it was utterly extraordinary. And people thought that it was a gimmick, uh, but Douglas and I were convinced it was the future and that it was exciting and that it was the way forward. And we became thrilled with this. So my first Mac, which was a 64K memory, memory <laughs> 64K, I mean, you couldn't, just unbelievable. <laughs> my saying, hello, is more than 64K now that you've just yes. heard. I mean, that, it's just preposterous yes. how little it was. And yet you could do so much with that because it forced programs to be unbelievably uh, accurate and uh, not to waste any single vital bit of memory uh, and by the end of the year there was a 128 version it had doubled in in in, in ram and, and and then slowly we you know, came color ones and, and then oh, many many years later uh, microsoft thought oh this does seem to be the future and they produced something they called windows which was a pretty grotesque knockoff but eh, that's fine There's, they still seem to suffer slightly from the you know command or delete thing the thing of having to use your keyboard yes though of course that. people who use them like it very much and uh because they, they're used to it and, and i think that's partly you know and nowadays the, the whole battle is over as to who mm-hmm. you know everything's a graphical user interface everything's windows and, and pull down menus wimps it used to be called windows icon mice and pull down menus with w-i-m-p-s wimps mm-hmm. um and it's a it's a, a marvelous thing and 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 of course it cre- uh, in 2010 sadly long after douglas died as you, as you know he died mm-hmm. of a heart attack very young 49 years old and and um uh, the iPad that came out in 2010 uh, was so like, really, Douglas's 
book, his Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Yes. It was this, a simple, yes. beautiful thing that could contain the world or the universe or the galaxy at least. And Absolutely, to have foreseen the, <laughs> the, the, the smartphone, really. Yeah. That's what Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy is. I missed, I mean, I missed over so much. He, he, he missed all, so, so many of these te technological explosions, and, and I miss him the take he would have had on them. He would have had an insight mm. and a way of explaining them and a way of deflecting the, the worst aspects of them because there have been terrible aspects, of course. But, you know, he died in 2001, I think it was. And, 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 uh, yeah, my good uh, Lord, is it that long ago? Yeah, and, and um, the iPhone itself didn't come out till 2007 and then the iPad in 2010. And yeah. because of my passion for these doodads and these toys it's a perfect example of being careful what you wish for because you know i really <laughs> did think they would change the world and they did but they didn't change it necessarily as happily as i had imagined they would i was very naive in how i thought uh, particularly the networking when that came in in the late 80s and the early 93 94 tim berners lee invented the world wide web and and mm. and i really thought this was it you know the Boundaries between people would melt away, uh, differences and misunderstandings would dissolve, uh, that, that, that the online presence of free museums, art galleries, libraries, cinemas, dance halls, meeting mm. places, assembly rooms, uh, people with tastes and uh, uh, passions and hobbies that uh, before had relied on grubbily roneoed fanzines could could reach out and be in touch with each other but instead it seems to have to an extent in some places yeah. it sort of reinforced bigotry it absolutely so. reinforced all the worst aspects it, it, it's a terrible shock that this should have been the outcome and but it's probably foolish of me not to have foreseen it i i probably should have understood this was how the world was going to be but it it, it is depressing uh to say the Isn't least it? um i mean still so, still, uh, so you you sort of want to go back to the hermes typewriter yes uh, it almost of course you can yes. never never do that you can never put the genies of technology back in their bottles you can never uninvent um no i mean you know certainly uh I still believe human beings are good and decent and kind. I, you know, as my, one of my great literary heroes, P.G. Woodhouse, when, when he lived in London, in Norfolk Street in, in Mayfair, he, he, uh, he, he would write letters. He had a big correspondence. He wrote every single day and was on his typewriter, on his royal typewriter. Indeed, he wrote me a letter when I was 14. I wrote to him. Uh, yes. Yeah, and he wrote, I've got, still got it, and the signed photograph. Of course. Um, yes. And, um, uh, but he, he, in London, he, he said that he always uh, would uh, fold up the letter, put it in the envelope, stamp it, and throw it out the window. Because he <laughs> reasoned that the average person seeing a stamped addressed envelope lying on the pavement would pick it up and put it in the post box. And he claimed he never, had, course. A, and never had a letter go missing. <laughs> I just thought, oh, uh, well, that's a, yeah. that's a Well, it's a beautiful test of humanity. Isn't it? I think. Just. Yeah, I mean, people, yes, people are fundamentally good, but they're also scared and anxious, and uh, especially as we're speaking mm. at the moment, full of dread and uh, doubt and worry yes. and so on. Yes. It won't go into that. But maybe hope, maybe sort of, uh, maybe this will be, uh, a, I don't know, the uh, way. Well, I, uh, I wouldn't call it a slap on the wrist. The I mean, sunlight will make a compact to build a better well, world. I mean, uh, that's been said before, I know, and it's, um, it's a thing that everybody hopes for, but you do think that people may learn some lessons from it. Yeah. You know, you, which would be at, nice. at the very least, mm. yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> anyway, yes. listen. Uh, there we are. Yeah. Well, we should move on. We should put your, yeah. the very first Apple Mac computer in 
in Europe right. into the time capsule. So what's your final item? So we're going now to what I'm going to put into the, uh, uh, to be thrown away into the garbage pail, because that was four objects, mm. and then my fifth object. And, and if I say, you'll immediately think, what? I'm going to say heaven. Now, but by that, I don't mean the, uh, the supposed divine place with the angels and the harps and the fluffy clouds. I mean the gay <laughs> disco of the, 19, the 1980s. <laughs> but it stands for all gay discos, and it stands for all discos, and it stands for dance. Because um, I've said this before, and I've, if people have heard it, then forgive me for repeating it, but I abominate and loathe and fear and dread and hate dance more than almost anything in the world. Um, <laughs> I cannot bear it. And I, I chose heaven because when I left university uh, in 1981, uh, it was the same year that something arrived. I arrived in London at the same year as the human immune, uh, immune virus, <laughs> the HIV, uh, uh, although it wasn't known at the time, AIDS, uh, of course. Mm. Uh, indeed, in those days, it wasn't even called AIDS. In 1981, there was a rumor amongst my gay friends of this thing, a bathhouse flu at first. And no, it's worse than flu. It's a, like a cancer. No, it's worse than that. And then someone told me it was called GRID gay-related immune deficiency. Uh, and then the, the phrase AIDS stuck, acquired immune deficiency syndrome. And I started to hear about friends getting ill and death mm. sentence. Um, but around, that was sort of more 82, 83, 84, and then further on. It was just rumors in 81. But I arrived in 81 as a, a gay person, quite happily out. And indeed, I had a partner, my lover from university, and we shared a flat in Chelsea together. And... Um, he liked to go to heaven and he would grab me and t take him to go. And, and I just couldn't. At the moment we went in, the noise, the <laughs> spectacle of people leaping up and down. And, 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 and I just wanted to be so far away from it. There was nothing about it. It was, it was just agony to me. I just, I can't tell, even thinking about them coming up in hives. Um, I can't dance. I don't know how to. I don't know what that dancing means. It was as if I missed a whole load of lessons that everyone else had about. What do you do? Which part of your body do you move? Do you swing your hips? Do your feet go up and down? Do they leave the ground? I mean, I would look at people doing it and think they're all different and it's all horrible. It doesn't mean anything. It doesn't. And the music, I mean, it's just all the ding, 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 ding music. And uh, I can understand why it gets into people's brains and sort of if they're drunk enough or, 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 or you know this was before the rave culture so mdma wasn't a known thing but there was there was um cocaine and there was um uh, uh the poppers of the gay world were huge you know uh, for all kinds mm. of reasons which we won't go into but though and, and i uh, and i just I, but you know i'd drink a bit but i still didn't want to dance i and i just wanted to talk to people and the other thing was of course i was never very cute so you go into these places and immediately anybody knew going into a place like that the eyes turn and the, the eyes rake up and down and then turn away. And you think, oh, oh I've been rejected. No. The I've come in. Everybody hates me. Nobody wants to speak to me. I'm, oh. And, you know, and, you know, the fact is, if I look back, I was probably wearing a Harry's tweed jacket and a tie. <laughs> yes. you know, they probably thought, who is this? Is he an off-duty policeman? I don't know. But anyway, I just <laughs> loathed that world. It was called the scene in those days, the gay scene. 
Do you think it's the curse of being tall? I, partly that, I suppose. I'm just, I just, I don't know. I mean, all my life, I've never been sure whether I wanted to join in or, or whether I wanted to stand apart from the human race. You know what I mean? And I think this is a common thing. One is torn between wanting to, 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 to be apart from uh, and and an equal and opposite pull of being a part of. And, mm. and I remember that at school. I would watch people playing rugby or cricket or joining in, you know, music and sharing records and things and thinking, I, I, I'm different. I, I don't like that sport. I don't like that. I, you know, I have my poetry. I have this. I'm, I'm an individual. I'm myself and I can't pay. And another part of me yearned to belong, to be part of the tribe. Mm. And, and I, and I think I've always. That's a very defensive thing as a teenager, though. That it is. It? You've, 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 it's to say I don't need people and I'm yeah. going to keep myself safe. I, I became a bird watcher because that was a solitary. Yeah. Uh, habit. Yeah. I mean, it meant that I could go out on my own, and I, I didn't want other people there because they were noisy. Yes, so I could, I could, <laughs> that's I, very good. I could just sit for hours and hours and hours on my own. Yeah, that makes sense. Nobody bothered me. I got that's so true, and and I I think I I was very the same, and, and and always have been, and I suppose always will be. But when it comes to dancing, and to this day, I I don't. The last time I've ever been into a, anything that can call itself a disco, but you go to weddings and they people insist on having a wooden floor of people dancing. And apart from anything else, even seeing other people dance makes me actually almost cry with embarrassment. I'm, I'm genuinely <laughs> embarrassed at the sight of them doing it, and I just want to cover my mouth and, and look away. And, and as for these television things, they have these dance things on ice and in all kinds of different... And I, I mean, I've never seen a whole... I've never seen more than 30 seconds because it's like a <laughs> shock of pain and distress. And yet, weirdly, I can watch Fred Astaire till the cows come out. I mean, that uh, who door... Couldn't? Absolutely, but it's not the same. What he's doing no. is art, and it's beautiful. And uh, you know, I'm, I'm I'm friends with Matthew Bourne, the choreographer, and I go and see his wonderful ballets sometimes, and they are fantastic. Mm. He did uh, the Red Shoes this year. It's just breathtaking. I'd sort of I'd sort of Blind. agree with you about about discos and that sort of thing. They generally are full of people who can't dance, yeah. so that's perfectly understandable that you would look at it in horror. But I have a memory of of a a wedding disco, which of course usually are the worst, mm. but uh, but it's a very fond memory that my mother sat almost sort of cupping her ears the whole way through, thinking it's too loud, it's all young people's music, I don't like it at all. And then they started playing the hit from a few years ago, um, Get Get Lucky, or I think it's mm. called, Up All Night to Get Lucky. Oh, yes, yes. That one, yeah. do you know? Yeah. Yes, anyway. They started playing that song, and suddenly in the middle of this dance floor, my mother came in, Basically doing the Lambeth walk, oh, you know, oh, and was just off. Oh, and she had so this sweet. and and we just we all everybody stopped and looked, and she just strutted her way up and down the, oh, the dance floor, oh. and it had hit her somehow. That piece of music actually just affected her as if it was a proper yeah. song. And of course, I know that it gives enormous pleasure, and that it is about joining in, and that and that I've never been able to join in and let go. All my life, even when I'm, you know, even when I was a bit of a party animal, not at that sort of dancing party, but party animal is, of course, a, a euphemism for someone who drank too much and put things up his nose. Um, uh, <laughs> even then, people would say to me, I'd really like to see you drunk one day, Stephen. You know, I just want mm. to see you lose it. And I think, why do people insist on saying that? I think it's because they always mistrusted my apparent 
control, the fact that I never did seem to get drunk and that I was always slightly distant. I, people, I can remember drunk people, always, to this day, drunk people said to me, oh, I, I really, you just, I want to get to the bottom of you, Stephen. There's, you know, you're always hiding, you're masked. You know, there's a mask, isn't there? And I think, well, I don't know. Is there? Probably. I, uh, well, it's strange enough. I, I would say the opposite. I really you. think you've always been. I've always I found you incredibly too. open. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, and and generous in it. The calls on your time must be endless. Yes. And so yeah. to be as generous with it as you are, I think, is an extraordinary thing. You should be very proud of it. Well, bless you. And uh, it's uh, there's so much to be incredibly grateful for, though. I mean, if my 15-year-old self, or even my student self, could possibly have a sense of of the doors that have been opened to me and the opportunities that I've had and the experiences that I've enjoyed, and uh, I, he, I would just... I don't know what I'd curl up and, and, and explode. I think it would, I would not mm. believe how fortunate I've been. And um, you know, on on the more serious note, that is hardly original, but that everyone's thinking of at the moment. Our generation has been lucky in that way too. Yes. Uh, I mean, almost every decade uh, of mine has been the decade to be. You know, when I was a, a boy, uh, you know, it was the period of exciting even things like breakfast cereals sugar puffs was invented the year i was born and there was ricicles and and and, and tony and his frosties and that whole sort of child advertising thing because we were the generation that they, they could advertise to and then when we were teenagers it was there was rock and roll and pop and the top of the pops and we our consuming generation was the generation again and mm. then in when in our 20s and 30s in our 30s there was even a tv show called 30-something, which was about how cool it was to be in your 30s. And, and, and every decade, and life's peach, we have sucked the juice out of it like no other generation. And we are handing this dried-out husk to the generation below for, for, who, who, who can't barely expect to get a house or a future. No. And now, after this coronavirus, in even bleaker landscape confronts them and uh, they have ransomed our lives our elderly lives because of this disease mm. and the, the price has been phenomenal and yes. um i've heard it i've heard it argued that um, that in fact it's a price too high to pay yes, and uh, it, we, sh we should be we should be paying back by 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 allowing you know, ourselves to to, to to go and we'd also be releasing lots of housing stock uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> i suppose so. but it certainly as a thought experiment it's a very powerful thing to say that you know really you know and of course as in all these issues science fiction writers and others have got there first uh, do, you, do you remember a film called zardoz uh with sean connery i don't it's know. you know that Oh, I do, I do. That, that yes, great I period exactly of, uh, of early 70s uh, dystopia. Sean Connery looking very strange. That's right. But essentially, uh, the elderly are, or if, on your 50th birthday, you uh, shuffled in along to, to die and you're given a pill. I think, I think it's a rather nice pill. So, I mean, you know, let's say now 70 is the new 50. Uh, I'm a few years away from that, but not that many, I suppose. Um, it'll give you a week with some... Really good quality heroin. Um, <laughs> and I thought you were going to say clarity. <laughs> and, then, and then an overdose on the last day. And, yeah. yes. and uh, The other film that uh, I remember as a teenager that, that actually made me 
think about these things for the first time was uh, Soylent Green. Yes, do remember that? I do yes. remember that one very well. Yes. Superb. Don't give away the ending. <laughs> no, no, no. That was for me the moment that I fell in love with classical music. It's strange oh, because actually the the euthanasia scene where they show right. and they played the pastoral. Yes, they do, they don't they? Uh, funny, yes, yeah. and and of course, famously in two thousand and one, the use of classical music as always with Kubrick is superb, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Still, we meander. We yes, meander. We do. Off. Sorry, everybody, um, but anyway, <laughs> <laughs> Stephen, lovely to see you. And you, a delight. It's been an absolute joy. It's been such a pleasure talking to you. Keep very well. And you, all the best. You have been listening to my time capsule with me, Mike Fenton Stevens, and my guest, Stephen Fry. This programme was produced and edited by John Fenton Stevens, and the music was by Pass the Peas Music. Please subscribe to this podcast on the Acast player or wherever you get your podcasts, and you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook at MyTCPod, where you'll find extra content and behind-the-scenes photos. Or you can follow me on Twitter at Fenton Stevens. My Time Capsule is a cast-off production. Thanks for listening. And I hope you can join me again next time. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.